You're listening to audio from Redemption Church of Houston. We are a people who believe that Jesus has invited everyone into his radically inclusive, world-altering way of love. That means that when we gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or in homes throughout the week, you are welcome here. Regardless of your social status, gender, race, sexual orientation, or politics, we want you to fully and actually join, grow, worship, and serve with us. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus invites you into his radical love just the way you are. And so do we. there redemption good good to see you guys hey kiddos uh thanks for joining us for church this morning uh you are now free to go back lauren is back there some of your teachers are back there head on back to kids church y'all have a great time and we'll see y'all here in about 30 minutes or so um thanks for joining us if you're trying to figure out what in the world's going on we are inviting our kids to come and participate with us in part of our service they are an important part of our congregation and so for us to be able to worship in front of them and to have them worship with us is cool and important and valuable. And so that's what that just was. This is our first Sunday doing that. We're excited about it. And we hope that we are creating some really good and healthy and happy um, formation and memories for them. Speaking of, we're shifting, shifting some things around. We are looking to hire a new children's pastor. So if you or anyone you know is interested in that, you can head to redemptionhou.com slash today. There's a link there. You can find out more info. What I want y'all to know is that Lauren is absolutely still around, and she is absolutely still currently our children's pastor. But in order to free her up to take over some of the stuff that I've handed her that I was doing before Zach handed me his stuff, we want to take something off of her plate. Uh, we also want to free her up to do some more of the justice initiative stuff. Um, and then children itself is just, as we kind of continue to slide out of the pandemic, knock on wood-ish, um, I think the stuff going on with kids just demands more time and more attention than almost anything else that we do. And so to have someone in a part-time role that is just thinking about just that, I feel like is really good and really important. Um, and so we are looking for that. If you have any desire at all, please pray and consider uh, applying for that. It, you don't have to be a professional Christian. Um, don't disqualify yourself. If there's interest, let's talk. Speaking of kiddos, our older kiddos, the youth, today are having a youth water games extravaganza from two to four. It sounds like a lot of fun. It also kind of sounds like my like best thing that I could ever think of happening, and also my worst nightmare all at once, depending on when you find me in life. But they're going to have a lot of fun. They're going to make a big mess. It, it should be great. So if you know of any teenagers that are looking to hang out this afternoon, um, you can come check it out. It'll be right here at 2 o'clock. And then lastly, uh, if you're new here, we want to know you. We want to get to know your name. We want to hear your story. Uh, we want you to get to know us and have an opportunity to ask any questions that you might have about who we are as a church or people or whatever. There's a card in front of you in the seat back. If you'll grab that, fill it out, give us either your uh, cell phone or your email, drop it in the box on your way out the door. 
we'll shoot you a text or an email later this week and just say hi, see if you want to grab coffee or something like that. There won't be any pressure. There won't be like, we're not going like, to show up at your door or hassle you or stalk you or do anything weird. Um, we just want to say hi, introduce ourselves, say, we see you, we want to know you, and extend a real invitation there. Um, <clears throat> speaking of, we've started this new thing that's kind of weird, and I like that it's kind of weird. I think church should be kind of weird. Not so weird that it's like uncomfortable and unfamiliar, but weird enough that it's a little like, oh, wait, what was that? And so at the beginning of every service, we start with this. The kingdom of God is breaking in. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit are with us this morning. And we begin worship each and every Sunday with this declaration, a reminder that something is happening here among us when we gather something mysterious, something different than what's going on out there in the kingdom of darkness, something that stands in protest against it, something that stands as resistance against it. There is really something happening among us. The kingdom of God is breaking in. Over the last few weeks, we've been in Acts, and the point is we're trying to help us all Reimagine church. For a lot of us, we've experienced some like real hard, harmful, and hurtful things in the church. For some of us, we have very limited or no experience in church, and we've only seen church from the outside. There's a few of us that have great, fond, uh, wonderful memories and experiences of church. But regardless of who we are or where we're coming from, I felt like it would be helpful for us as we go through a little bit of a transition ourselves to stop and just ask, like, wait, what are we, what are we doing? Who are we? Why, what, why are we gathering week after week other than just it's what we've been doing for eight some odd years and what the church capital C has been doing for 2,000 some odd years? What's happening? And as we've done that, we've seen that the church is a worshiping community that bears witness to the ongoing work and presence of the resurrected Jesus, that Jesus is here and among us by his spirit, and that we as a congregation are both worshipers and we are a community, and that those two things together have to exist. We cannot just be worshipers in isolation, and we cannot just be a community without worship, that those two things together are necessarily what it means to be the church. Sorry, I'll get it wrangled here one of these days. Um, the second thing we saw is that the spirit of Jesus that's among us is actually like working to comfort and guide us when all heck is breaking loose around us because it will. And that this spirit is available to all people, all people, all people, regardless of their race or gender or sexual orientation or socioeconomic status. Because God and his gospel are gracious. And that the good news of Jesus is the good news of God's grace. That God gives us better than we deserve. That God does for us what we cannot or maybe will not do for ourselves. And then last week, Jordan very helpfully 
showed us that this was evidenced by the powerful witness of the women in the earliest church, who in spite of a very clear patriarchy around them in their society, the Spirit of God used to establish and build his church from Jump Street. It's at the very beginning. He's using the marginalized to build his people. And so today, what I want to look at is what do these people do? Okay, great. Uh, we're in the church and we're bearing witness to the risen Jesus among us. Uh, how? What are we actually doing? How do we participate in that? How do we actively do that week in and week out? And what I want to suggest to you, something that I said, uh, I don't know, several months ago now, I think, when we were doing Genesis, we exist for communion, right? Not, not we as in Redemption Church, we as in humanity. Like the purpose of being here as a human being, the meaning of life is communion. It is to love God and to love people. It is to be in relationship. It's this profound thing that we were made for. To put it this way, you and I were made for love. We were made to love and to be loved. And we see this in the very earliest expressions of the church in Acts. And so let's jump in. Acts chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 40. I'll explain. We're starting at the end of uh, a passage and then we're jumping into the beginning. I'll explain why here in just a little bit. But we start in verse 40, and Peter says, and Peter testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so we see this really early community that's uh, on the heels of this grand pronouncement by Peter, right? So what's happened here is in chapter one, Jesus is like, hey guys, I'm out. I'm going back to heaven. I want you to go and wait for me. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to send my spirit to you. So wait for it. And when it shows up, uh, you will go and you'll be my emissaries out in the world. And so they go up into the upper room and they wait. And as they're waiting, the spirit of God shows up in mighty and fiery ways. Yeah, if you wouldn't mind. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you, Jordan. Clutch. Appreciate that. Good. Check, 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 check. All right, beautiful. Thank you so much. Right at this place. <laughs> oh, y'all have no, no idea how many anxious nightmares I've had about Redemption Church over the last week. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. So, so they're up in the upper room, they're waiting, and the Holy Spirit shows up, and we have this, like, this wild, miraculous scene where these tongues of fire descend on the disciples of Jesus, and, and they go out, and they begin to proclaim the good news of Jesus, and, and all these people that are gathered from all these different nations hear this proclamation in their own language, and in their own tongues, and they all believe. And we get at the end of Peter's, like, preaching of this good news, this section that we just read. 
And in verse 39, Peter says, hey, look, if you will receive this message today, if you will be baptized, then you will receive the Holy Spirit. And the response of the Holy Spirit showing up among these 5,000, or sorry, 3,000 some odd people who believed that day and were baptized is verse 42. What happens when the Spirit descends upon these 3,000 new people that Peter just preached to and have believed? What happens is that they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. Um, so they devote themselves to teaching. Uh, this is not the point of this morning. I just want to make a brief note of it and we'll move on. But like they believed there's a real ongoing work that the Spirit of God is doing among us. That, that there is something that God is revealing about God's self and continuing to reveal about God's self through the teaching of the apostles. That, that God has been revealed in the person of Jesus. The person of Jesus is still present and active and speaking among us. And so like there's something to be learned. We don't have it all figured out. We need to sit and we need to learn at the feet of Jesus through his people. But what I really want to talk about this morning is this second one. They devoted themselves to teaching and to fellowship. Now, fellowship sounds kind of like a sort of boring word. I grew up Southern Baptist and fellowship meant we're all going to bring like a potluck meal and we're going to hang out together and have small talk. That is my literal nightmare. Would much rather go to the water extravaganza with a bunch of 14 and 15 year olds than go to a potluck and have small talk. Um, <laughs> thanks, yeah. I got an amen for the first time in my preaching career. That's good, yeah. And so there's real fellowship, um, but what does fellowship mean? I think most of our English translations use the word fellowship here, and it really just takes the teeth out of this word. The word is koinonia. You don't need to worry about that. That doesn't matter. But know this, it's like a word that's used all over the place. Luke uses it one time here, right? Both in his Gospel of Luke and in Acts, this is the only time he uses this word. But Paul uses it quite a bit. And probably more importantly, like the Greco-Roman world uses this word all the time. And what are they describing? Marriages. Societies of like religious sects. They're describing real participation and sharing and unity with one another, that they share something in common. Um, when Paul uses the word Philippians, that I share in Christ's suffering, it's this word, that I'm not just like having fellowship with Christ's suffering. Oh, that's interesting that you suffered in that way. Like, no, I am somehow joined to it and enduring it along with Christ and Christ with me. And this is what they had. They devoted themselves to this type of fellowship. The word that I like to use is communion, intimacy, real like friendship, but not like friendship in some sort of casual way, like real committed, like Joey and Chandler kind of friendship. That would have killed in 2003. And so what they do is in this fellowship, they do two things, right? So you have devoting themselves to teaching and to fellowship, and then you get a, a description of what this fellowship, like the two big pieces of this fellowship. Like, well, what were they doing in the fellowship? Well, they're breaking bread and they're praying. And so they, they had this communal meal, the breaking of bread, which is most likely here a reference to the Lord's Supper. 
So in first century Judaism, you would say breaking bread, you just got go and share a meal. So it's possible that they're just saying, hey, they ate dinner together. But what Luke is doing is it's a callback. Like if you ever watched a, a show or maybe like in the Marvel universe, you get these like callbacks, these Easter eggs that are taking you back to this thing that happened back here. This is exactly what Luke is doing. The last time Luke used this phrase is when Jesus was with the disciples on the road to Emmaus and they didn't recognize him until they broke bread together and suddenly they realized that Jesus was in their presence. The earliest church is breaking bread together, sharing in communion and recognition and realization, oh my gosh, when we share this meal, Jesus is with us, Jesus is among us. Their eyes are opened and they realize the Spirit of God is with them. And so the second part is they devote themselves to prayer. But it's not like me and God alone in my prayer closet type of prayer. It's communal. They pray with each other, for each other, in each other's presence, and together. One of the, one of the ways I think we do a disservice to ourselves in uh, whatever we are, uh, weird, ostracized, evangelical-ish land, um, right, too evangelical for the non-evangelicals and not evangelical enough for the evangelicals. One of the things I think we do a disservice with is, is our, the way we do worship. And Mike totally agrees with me here, so don't worry. I'm not about to like. Right, one is that we assume when I say worship, all we hear is singing, uh, which is wrong. But two, when we sing and when we worship in song, I think somehow we forget oh, this is prayer. We're praying right now. We're, we're praying to God, but we're also praying to and for one another. Do you hear who God is, brother? Do you hear who God is, sister? Do you hear what God has done for us people? Our singing is prayer. They devoted themselves to this fellowship and they devoted themselves to prayer. This was probably some sort of formal thing uh, which involved eating and praying and teaching and singing within homes. Very similar to like what we try and do uh, sort of in our Sundays, but really probably closer to this in our hub groups where there's real like, hey, we're not just coming and facing a stage. Uh, I hate that we even call it that, but it is what it is, right? But no, we're sitting around a table and when we sing and when we worship, we see each other. When we pray, we actually like learn about each other. We know like where are we struggling and where is God showing up and what is God doing in our hearts and lives. And so like, uh, let me put in my really shameless plug, encouragement, exhortation. If you're not in a hub, you should be in a hub. Right? It's, there's no like magic thing about it other than it is like, how can we help you have real, meaningful, in-depth relationship with one another, with the people that you stand shoulder to shoulder with and confess your sins and, and confess your praise to God? How can we connect you with one another? Like, the easiest way we know how is like, hey, uh, pick a time and a place and let's sit down and let's commit to gather week after week or month after month or whatever it is and let's share a meal and let's pray for one another and let's experience life together. More on that in a minute. Right, so if the meaning of life is communion, right, love of God, 
love of neighbor. I would flip that and also say that communion is life. It's life together. It's not just something that we do once a week when we gather and sit shoulder to shoulder. It's who we're meant to be. It's who we were created to be. We are tapping into something that is profoundly and inherently human. And as God's kingdom breaks into our world of darkness, the church is the resistance. It's this subversive protest against the kingdom of darkness that insists on communion with God and communion with one another, refuses to give up on communion with God and communion with one another. And we see this in verse 43. So basically what's going to happen here is verse 42 is this kind of broad summary statement. Verse 43 is going to like pause and give a little more insight into, wait, what exactly were they doing and how did it work? And this gets real wild. Verse 43, so all came upon everyone. That's some sort of like, holy cow, can you believe this is actually happening? Because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. That would have been the 12 former disciples. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. So the first thing we see in verse 44 was that they were actually like together. They knew each other. They knew each other's names and stories and workplaces and uh, hiccups and good things and bad things. Did they leave globs of toothpaste in the sink? I don't know. Maybe they knew that. Maybe they didn't. But doesn't this confront our tendency to like turn spirituality into this individual pursuit? All you need is a personal relationship with Jesus. Uh, I would suggest that's not all you need, and Jesus doesn't think that's all you need. That's really important, and we should absolutely have that. But by definition, our personal relationship to Jesus is meant to be experienced and poured out in community among the people of Jesus. And so the response to Peter's sermon and the subsequent outpouring of the Spirit is communion. It's life together. They loved God and they loved one another together. The the Spirit formed them into a community, not a bunch of individuals. Right? This makes sense. God's a relational God. God is love. By definition, that involves more than one person. If God is love and he's making us a people of love, then of course, love God, love people, and they express this in the most obvious and practical way. They shared their stuff. Doesn't that confront our false ideal that more stuff is going to be the thing that makes us whole? If I could just get to that next pay bracket, if I could just get to that bigger house or house or whatever. And we chase and we chase and we chase and we chase and we spend our lives on stuff. How much of our time and energy and mental capacity and emotional capacity is freaking spent on just like stuff? The pursuit of stuff. I can't spend time with people right now. I got to go chase the stuff. Um, Weirdly, maybe not weirdly, I don't know. It's it's good, but I like The Great Gatsby. I'm a dark person like that. Uh, Because this is exactly what the whole point of the story is. At the end, all the relationships were centered on stuff. 
And at the end, everyone finds out exactly how bankrupt it all was. It does not get you what you think it will. And so they held all things in common, second part of their, in verse 44. So those who didn't possess, or sorry, those who had property, like didn't consider it as their own. Instead, they shared it with those who needed it. Some of you are like, that's communism. Ah, hold on, time out. Uh, it wasn't, one, because no one is forcing this. This is what makes this so wacky and brilliant and beautiful. Like Peter's not showing up, putting a gun to someone's head, and like, give me your stuff, we're sharing this. Like people are willingly trading in their assets, liquidating their assets so that they can give it to someone who has a need. That is the most unwise financial decision you can make, I think. <laughs> I'm a pastor, I'm not a finance guy. You can ask my bank account. It'll verify that that's true. But they have freedom. Like, this is the whole thing with Ananias and Sapphira. Peter tells them point blank, this was yours. You didn't have to lie about this. This is in chapter 5. Uh, they both drop dead for lying and basically being on Satan's team instead of on God's team. And the whole point is, like, no, you, they have freedom over their own stuff. The wild part is that people were willingly deciding, hey, you know what, you know what I want to do? I want to give my stuff for you. And so this fellowship, this participation included like a real dynamic that begins to become even more important and more powerful than like the closest relationships we can think of. Like, how many of you are going to sell your house and give all that money to your family? Maybe you would. Maybe you wouldn't. They were. It's wild stuff. And the way this practically worked for them is they are largely, like, they don't have, like, a ton of stuff like we do. It's not like they're trading in their TVs. Uh, they're trading in, like, real assets, like land and property, um, things that really separated classes. They are giving that up for the sake of people eating, people having clothes to wear. They really saw one another as like a community and a family. We won't spend too much time here just because we're running out of it, but um, Luke uses some language that's really similar to what Plato and Aristotle talk about when they're describing like a utopian society. Um, it's what the Pythagoreans would talk about when they talk about like deep friendship with one another and they shared all their things in common. But even for them, this sharing involved like reciprocity. I share so that you can share back with me. The Christians didn't do it this way. They gave up expecting nothing in return. The other kind of big thing that, that's at work here that Luke is kind of playing on slightly is this idea of benefaction. So like these really wealthy people in the Roman world would just kind of bankroll stuff. But the whole point of bankrolling stuff was social equity. Hey, I'll build this coliseum for you. Just put my name on it. I'll, I'll fund your society. Just make sure you give me all honor and glory and praise. It was social clout. What the early church did was entirely different. They sold their goods. They liquidated their assets for the benefit of others because they recognized that people and relationships are far more important than stuff. And they literally put their money where their mouth was. Their lives looked drastically different financially because of their love for one another. 
Verse 46. And so day by day, they spent much time together in the temple, right? This is kind of strange. They're still going back to the temple early, like Jewish community that is recognizing who Jesus is. They're still like, hey, how do we worship? We go back to the temple. And they broke bread in their homes and they ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. Like people are liking these cats. They're like, yeah, look at the Christians. Wow, they're fantastic. That changes very quickly in the story. We're very early in Acts. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Their their togetherness persisted. They were together. He says it like three or four times. And they were together. And they were together. And they were together. They worshiped together. They spent time together. They didn't just share their stuff with one another. They shared their lives with each other. This language of togetherness communicates like a oneness and a bond and a unity, right? It's, it's very, very closely related to like how we would think of like what Genesis talks about when it talks about marriage, the two becoming one. And gosh, if it doesn't confront our individualism and our tendency to want to like isolate ourselves, right? And this, this is coming from an introvert. Y'all might not think I'm an introvert. Um, it is exhausting for me to go, like we did the happy hour on Friday. It was so much fun. But y'all, when I got home, I was like, tired. I was like, I had spent, okay? Um, I was talking to Andrew, who was there, and he was like, it was the best thing ever. He's like energized, ready to go. He's back with our kids right now. Of course he is. <laughs> but it confronts our individualism and our isolation. And here's the thing, right? If communion is the thing that we're made for, communion with God, communion with each other, my word, if all of life isn't constantly trying to pull us away from that, We struggle to do this. Our pace of life is so frantic that we don't have time to spend with people. A world that's oriented towards material and social gain is constantly weighing us down for living into who Christ is calling and making us to be. We don't have time to spend in the presence of Jesus. We don't have time to spend with each other. But we're made for communion nonetheless. And it's by communion that we are remade, and it's towards communion that we're being remade. Communion with God and with one another is what we need. It is who God created us and is creating us to be. And so verse 47, day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And this is a a reference back to verse 40 that I said, I'll tell you why I'm including this here in a little bit. Peter's like, hey, be saved from this wicked and perverse generation. And I think a lot of times when we hear that, we hear, go to heaven when you die. That's not what Peter's talking about at all. He's saying, enter into this completely different and upside down way of living that will actually give you life. And in verse 47, Luke tells us, and they were. They were being saved by their being together and by the Spirit of God working in and among them. Salvation is not some sort of future state of soulful bliss. It is something that can be embodied and present here and now. 
And this radical way of life is our beating back the darkness. This radical way of living is our witness to the world around us that Jesus Christ is here and among us. We don't have to rely on our financial security. We don't have to rely on right, whatever it is that they tell us we need. That together, we are, our hope is somewhere else. And so I want to give you a, a couple of practical ways that this works out, and then I'll be done. So as a church, we have uh, a set of core values. Our foundational core value is Jesus. And then we have two goals, two things that we're trying to accomplish. We're trying to accomplish redemption, right? That, that is making the world and ourselves and everything we can more beautiful, more like what God wants it to be. The second thing is we are desiring to connect, to share communion with one another and with God. And we have three ways to, to, to access or to get to redemption and connection. Those three ways are grace. We talked about that a couple sermons ago. Exploration, that, that means that this is a real, actual, safe place for you to doubt and to ask questions and to explore what faith is and who God is and who Jesus is. We are really, actually safe. But then the last one is sharing. Sharing is this idea of communion. It's the idea that we cannot live our lives with walls up. That in order for us to enter into this real connection and real redemption, one of the ways that we have to get there is through sharing. So some of the ways that we learn how to do this in the earliest church is that we share invitational lives. We as a church, we as a people, we have to be a safe place which means extending real invitation, real invitation to people just as they are. Assuming they will always be just as they are, never expecting or implicitly asking them to change. Real invitation to share our lives with anyone and everyone just as they are. Number two, we share vulnerable lives. We have to let our walls down. We have to really be willing to share our life and ourself with others. I know for a lot of people, this is very scary. I get that. If you're brand new here, if you've been around for a couple weeks, I don't expect this from anyone like right now. <laughs> if you've been hurt and wounded, like I, I hear there's some, rightfully there's some hesitation there. Take your time, be patient with yourself. Be kind with yourself. But eventually, we are journeying towards this place where we can really be open and vulnerable with one another, where we can really share our lives, the, the good parts and the ugly parts, where we can talk about the nightmares we have about our new pa job as pastor of the church. Number three, we share generous lives. We have to stop hoarding our time, our money, our stuff, when is enough, when is uh, stuff enough? Right, that line always seems to move. When we were 20, we didn't have enough. When we were 30, we didn't have enough. 40, we don't have enough. 
Before you know it, we're lying on our deathbed. We're looking back going, my God, what did I do with my life? We need to have the courage. Sorry, we need to ask God to give us the courage to live lives with open hands. Number four, we need to share worshipful lives. The core of our communion with one another is the risen Jesus among us. We cannot leave that part out. It is the part of the equation. It's why in our core values, Jesus is our foundation. Otherwise, we just become a really nice social club. Jesus, by his grace, is is working in us and through us to change our desires and our hearts So we should share our spiritual lives with one another, our worship with one another, our praying with one another. Let's sing to Jesus together. Let's eat with Jesus together. Let's pray to Jesus together. And number five, let's confess and join this resistance. By God's grace, let's recognize that our isolation and our individualism and our materialism are killing us, strangling us, suffocating us slowly. They're not making us whole, and they're not what we're made for. They subvert the kingdom of God. We're a community centered on worship and togetherness. The kingdom of God is actually and really breaking in among us. Let's pray. Jesus, will you help us? Will you have mercy on us? Will you... Will you fill us with your love? We need nothing more than to know you and to know one another, to be known by one another. That's perhaps the thing that we're running from the hardest. Will you help us? Will you help me? Will you free us to love? Will you you allow us to trust you enough to really let go and to love regardless of what people may think about us, regardless of what we might lose? Will you help us to really live in communion with you and with one another? We love you, Jesus. Will you receive our worship over these next few minutes? May be pleasing to you may be transformative for us. We pray to you. We pray for one another. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, get coffee with a pastor or visit us on a Sunday, then go to redemptionhou.com. Please know today that you are fully loved and fully accepted just the way you are. We hope to hear from you soon.